on March 10th, 2019, at Boli International Airport in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. 32 people from Kenya, 18 Canadians, 9 Ethiopians, 8 Americans, and 90 other people got on flight 302. Included in that group of people was a nine-month-old baby. These people currently go down in history as being in the biggest crash in Ethiopian airline history as they were in the air for six minutes. The UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, described the crash as a global tragedy. A large number of passengers were affiliated with the UN and on their way to an environmental conference. On September 11, 2001, at 8.46 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, American Airlines Flight 11 crashed into the World Trade Center North Tower on the northern facade. 17 minutes later, United Airlines 175 crashed into the southern facade of the South Tower. 34 minutes later, American Airlines 77 crashed into the Pentagon. And then United Airlines Flight 93 crashed in Pennsylvania at 10.03 a.m. In all, 2,966 people died on that day and over 6,000 people were injured, and many died after the fact. At 11.40 p.m. on Sunday, April 14, 1912, the Titanic, the largest cruise ship in the time, hit an iceberg in the Atlantic Ocean, going at about 22.5 knots per hour. Two hours and 40 minutes later, the great ship fell 12,600 feet into the freezing cold water. Aboard the ship were 2,208 people. When the tragedy was over and the ships arrived for support, 705 survivors were all there were. 1,503 people lost their lives, including 50 children. What do all these stories have in common? Life. We care about life. As human beings, we rally around life and tragedy and, and, and helping people. Uh, I remember seeing the politicians come together after 9-11, it didn't matter their affiliation. It didn't matter what was going on. They stood at those steps and they prayed. I remember when uh, George W. went out at Yankee Stadium for the World Series to throw out the first pitch. And everybody just shouted, USA, USA. They weren't doing that because it was George W. Bush. They were rallying around life because we value life. We're sickened by tragedies, senseless murders that happened throughout the ages. You, you, you think of uh, the Holocaust. Six million Jews, another five million Russians, Soviets, 
1.8 million Polish civilians, 312,000 Croatians, 250,000 disabled people, all killed in the Holocaust. We care about life. That's why well, we have these alerts that come on our phones called Amber Alerts. When one child is missing or thought to be taken, we rally around it. There are currently 7 billion, I think we have it up here, 7 billion, 708 million, 72,722 people, and that changes every second, alive in the world on this earth. And most of these people care about the people that are around them. They care about their mom and dad. They care about uh, their kids. They care about uh, the neighbor down the street that, that's having a tough time. Uh, as I've traveled, whether in St. Louis or, or Los Angeles or Orlando or, or Ethiopia or Qatar or Newark, Delaware, or Newark, Illinois, the one thing that I know that is in common is that people like helping other people. They like smiling at them, they like hugging them, they like giving them handshakes. It is common for us to care about one another. Life is precious. Life is absolutely precious, but there's something that happens when, when a little child comes around and something that more happens when a little baby comes around. Doesn't matter what's going on, when that little baby comes around, everybody kind of just stops and smiles and, and looks at the baby. When we had our first daughter, Allie, we took hours and hours of video of her doing nothing. Poor Molly didn't get any videos about her. Because <laughs> there's something precious about babies. There was a professor in a world-acclaimed medical school, and he, 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 he had all of his medical students with them, and, and he proposed this question to them. He said, okay, you guys are the doctors. You've got this husband and wife who are coming to you and, 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 and they need your advice. Uh, they're willing to get an abortion, possibly, but they want your advice. The dad has syphilis. Uh, the mom has TB, tuberculosis. They already have three kids. The first one was born blind. The second one died. The third one was deaf. What are you going to do? What should you advise mom and dad to do? So the students, they all gathered together. They, they separated. Then they gave their own opinions, and they thought about it. And, and, and they came together, shared some of that. Then he broke them up into little groups, and, and they all counseled one another. Eventually, all of the groups came back, and they said, we would suggest aborting the baby. 
And the professor said, well, congratulations. You just killed Beethoven. Because that was Beethoven's story. There's another story. On, on April 5th, 1977, a mom and dad, just boyfriend and girlfriend, 17 years old, they got pregnant. They were living in Los Angeles. And there was a, a place called Planned Parenthood. And they went in there, and they sought counsel, and they were advised on this fifth day of April of 1977 that they should abort their baby. The baby was seven and a half months along. So the doctor, the abortionist, he decided the best method was going to be uh, using a late-term saline solution. What that entails is, is shooting the saline solution uh, into the uh, uterus and, and allowing the baby to swallow that saline solution and burn on the inside and burn on the outside, usually taking off one full layer of skin on the outside of the baby. The next day, April 6th, you come in and you have the baby born dead. Well, April 6th came along and, and mom was given birth and, and something wrong happened. Instead of the baby being born dead, the baby was alive. Luckily for this little girl's sake, the abortionist had not come in yet for the day. He was a little delayed. And so the nurse rushed the baby to the hospital. You see, back in that time, if a baby was born who was trying to be aborted and it was born alive, they'd either throw the baby in the garbage, they'd break the baby's neck, or they just let them sit there and die on their own. But this baby, Gianna Jensen, was saved. She had cerebral palsy because of the saline solution. She was thought to never walk again, never to sit up. Three months after being in the hospital, uh, from being born, she was uh, put into foster care. She went to a, a several different foster care homes, and, and finally she ended up in one uh, where this woman helped her get back to her feet. And at age four, Diana DePaul adopted Gianna to be her daughter. Some of you may remember the story, October Baby. That's what this uh, was loosely based off of. Gianna has been a huge advocate of pro-life, uh, the whole movement. Her story, in fact, influenced George W. Bush to sign into uh, law in 2002 the Born Alive Infants Protection Act, which extends legal protection of an infant born after an attempted abortion. Well, if you haven't realized yet, 
today's landmine is a big topic. It's abortion. And abortion it, it is a, a huge topic. We've talked about things like sexuality and abuse, politics, anxiety. And, and, and this topic, oddly, is a highly political topic. But I'd say it's more theological. In fact, I, I, I would argue that that this topic is, is such an important topic that it, it, it has reached a huge factor in this particular country. I even think of, of what the Supreme Court justices mean in this topic and, and how President Donald Trump got voted in because of who he was going to put in the Supreme Court justices. It's become that hot of a topic that, it, that it's become a big deal. Some people find themselves uh, defending one side of this, and some of them find the other, and some of them don't care. They're lukewarm. They don't care about the topic at all. New laws have been, been put into place in Louisiana, Georgia, Kentucky, Mississippi, Ohio, Alabama, that, that basically... Uh, prohibit a pregnant woman from getting abortion after the heartbeat has been detected, which science would tell us six weeks, usually about when mom finds out she's pregnant. Other states, like Illinois, are going the other direction. Here's a picture of, of the governor. This was Friday night with uh, Senator Melinda Bush uh, of Gray's Lake. They celebrate the passage by Senate of the Reproductive Health Act. It establishes a woman's fundamental right to an abortion. This happened on Friday night. The Illinois measure states that every individual who, could be, who becomes pregnant has a fundamental right to continue the pregnancy and give birth or to have an abortion and to make autonomous decisions about how to exercise that right. Well, today I want to look at seven questions that must be answered. Seven questions that must be answered. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on each, but I think that we should look at them. And, and our goal is not to figure out how I could sway you politically. Because that would be doing a disjustice to this pulpit. Instead, my goal is, is to look to God's word. Because God's word is what we stand on. We don't stand on, a, on political focuses. We look to God's word and we have God's word teach us. And we want to see what he says about the landmine. Would you join me in praying as we go into these seven things? Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that you Teach us, not me, not, not uh, anything that we could be uh, swayed. We only want you. Holy Spirit, please uh, teach us and guide us to your word so we can give glory as you desire to the Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. 
Seven questions that must be answered. First of all, how did we get here? How did we get here? Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. You see, for all history, we have seen infanticide taking place. People who give birth, and then they kill the babies. We, we have seen uh, that uh, that happens for any number of reasons. Many times, they don't have enough money, or, or they don't have enough to eat. Or, or could be that they already have a girl in the family. Maybe the baby has a disability. Whatever it is. Throughout time, throughout history, we could point at it over and over that women and families and societies have killed their babies. And most of the time, we could pretty much point out that these moms are not psychopaths, that they're not murderers trying to uh, do something because they hate the baby. That they've been trained, they've been taught, they've been guided that this is not a cruel act, that the baby is not a baby at all, it's just a thing, and that you need to survive. There was a story that came out of southern Africa. It was told by an adult girl who remembered when her baby brother was born. Here's what she said. I'm going to quote the whole thing. After he was born, he lay there crying. I greeted him. Ho, ho, my baby brother. Ho, ho, I have a little baby brother. Someday we'll play together. But then my mother said... What do you think this thing is? Why are you talking to it like that? Now get up and go back to the village and bring me my digging stick. I said, what do you want to dig? She said, a hole. I'm going to dig a hole so I can bury the baby. I'll bury him so that you can nurse again. You're much too thin. You see, mom wasn't killing the baby brother because she was a murderer. She was killing the baby brother because that was, in her mind, the way of survival. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. You fast forward to 2019, and we have a great debate about abortion. Every year, there's 926,240 abortions taking place just in the United States. Just in the United States. It accounts for 20% of all pregnancies. One out of every five pregnancies end in an abortion in the United States of America. Women between the ages of 20 to 34 make up 76.4% of the abortions each year. 45% of the people that have abortions already have living children. The abortion rate of women with Medicaid coverage is three times as high as that of other women. In 2014, 30% of aborting women identified themselves as Protestants. 24% identified themselves as Catholic. Here's a chart. This is, this is one survey of about 1,000 women that had abortions of why they had 
abortions. Many different reasons are given. And here's a chart that shows when abortions happen during pregnancy. And we'll zoom into the next one. You'll see at the very beginning, within the first nine weeks, 74.2% of all abortions happen during this time. And that leads us to the second question. When does life begin? When does life begin? Psalm 139, 13 through 16 says, For you formed me, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I made when I was made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Before we are born, God shows you and me great concern. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 1.15, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. Think of that. The Apostle Paul, murderer, a persecutor, before he was even born was called to Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, 3, and 4 talks about people being chosen by God before the foundation of the world, before all time even began. Many people say that, that babies that are in the womb are not babies at all, that they are just a substance, that they are a material, a glob of matter. But Scripture speaks of unborn babies as human life. We see in Luke 144 through 44, 141 through 44, we remember Elizabeth is pregnant with, with John the Baptist. And, and she's pregnant with him. And, and here comes, she's six months along. And here comes Mary, who, who's pregnant with our Savior. And when Mary walks into the door and greets Elizabeth, what happens? The baby jumps for joy within Elizabeth. And immediately Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and knows exactly what is going on. She knows Mary's pregnant, and, and not just any pregnancy, but with the Savior. The babies, they're referred to as babies, even before they were born. And this is the battle that's come to the forefront. When is a baby a baby? The argument that Alabama and other states have put on the law books is, is when the heart can be detected. As I said, six weeks is, is, is kind of the scientific time of, of when the heartbeat is, is, is present and you can hear it. But people are arguing that too. They're saying it's just a, a, some 
uh, um, waves that aren't really a heart because the heart isn't fully formed yet. The only way a baby is a baby, some people argue, is when it exits the womb and can breathe on its own. So up until that point, you could do whatever you want with it. Remember Jesus when he was conceived? Mary was, was greeted by Gabriel. At that very moment when the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, Jesus was alive within her. Jesus, the Savior of the world, the God of all creation, was living inside the womb at that very moment. I would argue that most people care about life, especially life of a little child. Therefore, I think it's one of the biggest questions that we could possibly answer. Do we care, or when is that life going to start? When is life starting? That's why places like Pick and We Care, a Pregnancy Information Center in Aurora, and We Care in, in DeKalb, why they want their 3D ultrasounds so these people can see the baby that's living inside them. It is, it is said by many surveys that 90% of the women and men who see the baby alive with these 3D ultrasounds especially walk away from the abortion. 90%. This is important. How did we get here was the first question. When does life begin? Our third question, who is responsible for life and death? Ultimately, I'm saying who should get to decide about the life in this world and about death in this world? Deuteronomy 30, 19 says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today, and I've set before you life and death, blessings and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. We think of King Solomon in Ecclesiastes 3, 2. There's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. Solomon's referring to God who has all things planned for all time. Luke wrote in Acts 17, 25, He himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Paul, writing to Timothy, said, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. God is the one who gives life. God is the one. The next big difference here, and, and we'll address the next question, is, is who's responsible? Aren't, aren't I responsible? I'm the one who got pregnant. It, it's my kid. I can choose what I want to do. It's my body. That's not what Scripture's teaching us, though, in this case. You and I are charged to not decide when someone dies. Exodus is very clear about that. We don't get to make that decision. We shall not murder. If I'm mad at someone, I, don't, I can't kill them. This is just like so many things. It's a sin. So the question that must be, is the mother a murderer? 
If she intentionally aborts her unborn child, or is the doctor a murderer, or is both? These are heavy questions that we don't shy away from. That's why they're called landmines. We don't shy away from them because we go to God's word. And that's where we find our truth. Our fourth question, and one that comes up in this debate frequently, shouldn't a woman have control over her own body? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in this flesh, I live through faith in the Son of God who loved me and died for me. It's all about Jesus. It's all about our Creator. And all too often in the great debate, you start seeing signs like this. Bodily autonomy is non-negotiable. You know, it used to be called pro-abortion, but it was changed to pro-choice because we're Americans and we love having choice. We want to be able to choose what we're going to do. And more than that, women should be allowed to have choice. But I'm sure many of you have seen CSI programs where where these investigators go in and, and, and they're looking at crime scenes and and, and they'll find, oh, they'll find a little bit of blood here, and they'll gather that up. They'll find a little hair over there. They'll find a cigarette butt over there, and they'll take it back to the lab. And they'll put, put all these things into their, their computers and microscopes, and, and they'll figure out that there is a genetic fingerprint on each of those things. Much, much stronger than, than a human fingerprint, because we're talking DNA, and, and as early as, as seven weeks into a baby being conceived, you can do a, a, a genetic fingerprint uh, of the baby, and, and, and you could somehow the doctors do that, and you could take that, and you could take the mother's genetic fingerprint, and guess what? They're different. They're two different lives. Absolutely two different People, the mother is required for the, for the life of that fetus to survive and, and to grow and to mature. But I would argue that all children, especially young ones, newborns, require moms and dads and other people to gather around them and support them when they're outside of the womb. Otherwise, they will die. Our body is not our own. It's the Lord's. Even if you don't trust in the Lord Almighty, when you are pregnant, your body is no longer just your body. It's also a place for your baby boy or your baby girl. Next question. The decision to abort a child affects parents tremendously. Psalm 127, verse 3 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. 
During my study of this landmine subject, I was saddened to hear all the stories of the moms and dads who had been involved in this, who had aborted children and, and, and their regret and their depression and their seclusion and their attempted suicides. It is a very tough thing to do. And yeah, there are a lot of people somehow that separate themselves mentally from it, just like the, the mom who was digging the hole. I watched several videos of, of moms talking about this, and, and I saw several videos of moms who had attempted abortions that weren't successful, and the baby was alive. And many of those moms, they, they weren't moms. They, they, the babies eventually got adopted from someone else but their heartache still thinking as they look at their daughter, as they look at what would be their grandchildren, and thinking, wow, I try to eliminate that scenario. Why would I do that? If you're contemplating this act, if any of you ever are contemplating this act, or, or you know somebody, I challenge you to, to ponder and think 20 years on the line. I was in high school, my senior year, and my buddy came to me, doesn't live in Newark, by the way, my buddy came to me and said, I think we're going to do this. And I never talked him out of it. So regret I have to this day, knowing of my immaturity, of my faith at that point, that I never gave any sound wisdom to my friend. Think 20 years down the line. Think when you're a grandpa or a grandma and what that would be like. Unfortunately, millions of people have gone through the process already. So the question remains, will God forgive you? Will God forgive them? And then I ask the question, or the multiple questions, will God forgive you for lying? Will God forgive you for stealing that chocolate milk in eighth grade? Will God forgive you to, uh, for taking that money off of dad's dresser drawer? Will God forgive you for hating your brother? Will God forgive you for committing adultery? Will God forgive you for stealing that car or abusing that child? Will God forgive you for killing that baby? John 3, 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. There is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. He came to this earth and lived a perfect life so he could be the sacrifice for all of us. He loved us even when we didn't love him. He, he bore the sins. He felt them all. I always give a picture for my kids about 
what Jesus felt on the cross in, in the sense of uh, not what you're thinking, of all the pain and, and, and the whips that he had and the thorns in his head. I don't think that was the excruciating pain that, that Jesus went through. But it was when, when, when Jesus was up there and, and God was looking at him and God just turned his back. The Father turned his back on him and Jesus says, why have you forsaken me? It was at that moment that Jesus took upon all the sins of every single human being before and in the future. And God allowed Jesus to take them all on for one reason. Because he loves us. Because he absolutely loves us. And now Jesus sits at the right hand of God, and what's he doing? He's advocating. When you sin, when you go against God, he, he's, oh, I've got this one. I've already got this one. He's advocating for us. So one more question remains. Who will speak for the unborn? Who will speak for the unborn? Proverbs 31, 8, 9 says, Open your mouth for the mute for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. It is our obligation, friends, to love the mute, to defend the poor, to defend the needy. And I could find no greater one that needs defending than the babies of this world. They are a great need. All humans, 90 years old, 9 years old, 9 weeks old need our love and our care and, and our, our uh, um, hope that is found in Jesus Christ. We need to have the heart of the Lord. And I urge each of you, in some way, from Titus to Bill, find some way that you can help and advocate for life. Sherry and I, we, we found one of our ways is through adoption and foster care. Giving life and hope to these kids and to loving them. It, it could be through your grandchildren. It, it could be through supporting like Pick in Aurora or We Care and helping them get ultrasounds, portable ones that they can go and take it to the inner city. It could be supporting someone who is adopting. Because, friends, we do need support for that. There are thousands of ways that you can help. Being a mentor for those that are getting pregnant. Maybe you could be part of, of the family of God that does not shun that young lady that gets pregnant and instead comes around her and loves her tremendously in spite of her mistake, knowing that you, at the same time, made mistakes. Because that baby's not a mistake. That baby is a life. Yeah, this is a major landmine. It's become very, a very strong, hot-button politically. However, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ... And you're willing to seek the Holy Spirit's guidance as you study the word of God. I think that you'll see that the God 
is the creator of all life. That he values life from before the moment of conception to eternity. My convictions on abortion are strongly influenced by my convictions of theology and my understanding of the Holy Scriptures. Let me close our service today with a verse from God's Word. It's found in Psalm 100, the third verse. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture.